0: How many of y'all are ready to learn about healing? Divine healing. It's gonna be a great class, and I'm looking for my, I don't, I don't have a folder up here, so let me see it real quickly. I'll give it back to you. Uh, this is it. Now, this is gonna be yours. I would write my name in it, and be sure you bring it every time. If you lose one and come back, the next one's 100 bucks, because this one's free. Uh, Just kidding, but you will have to pay for it, uh, because this is free, and we decided to go ahead and put the whole series in here right off the bat, so that uh, it's just a little bit cheaper in printing, a little bit easier on the printer, and um, the pink slip, isn't that a good pink slip instead of a bad one? I got to thinking, we could have made it purple or blue, we made it pink, pink slip, but this is not you being fired, it's you being fired up now uh, please fill them out every week because here's where this is going he gave some apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers why for the building up of the Saints to do the work of the ministry so most people don't see a pastor that way or a church staff that way but according to Paul in the book of Ephesians. Our calling is to prepare you, the saints, to do the work of ministry. So here's what we have in mind. We're looking for three things to come out of this class. And if you're not interested in any of the three, don't worry about the pink slip. Weekly, don't worry about filling it out. Just come and enjoy the Word of God. But if you want to be involved in altar ministry, in praying for the sick, in hospital visitation, or in our healing room, when we launch the healing room in this church where starting out probably once a month we will set a time set some leaders in there and have people come from everywhere for prayer for healing it'll be a healing room now if you want to be involved in any of those three be praying about it because at the end of this series we're gonna hand out a little questionnaire with three boxes, and you check which one you're interested in. And we will then put you on computer. And when these various needs and opportunities arise, depending on the number of people involved, we'll have you at least on rotation to be down in this altar. We're going to the place where after every weekend service, at the end of the service, we're going to have people down here ready to pray for the sick and the needy. But we want trained people. We want people who understand what scriptures say about this. So, and you have to be a Finding the Rock graduate uh, before you do that. So keep that in mind. But right now, we're going to go through this eight-week series. We're going to learn what the Bible says about healing. So let's pray together, and, and let's ask God to really touch us tonight. Lord, we thank you that... You went about everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And Lord, you said to your followers, these works that I do, you shall do also. And Lord, in Mark, we're told they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You told James, Lord Jesus, that if any was sick among us, let him call for the elders, and let him pray over them the prayer of faith and that the prayer of faith would save the sick. Lord, over and over again, we see the theme of healing in the scriptures. We pray that you will renew our minds. Can you breathe a prayer tonight and just say, Lord, renew my mind. In this matter of healing, I receive with meekness your word. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good. Perk up and listen. You're going you're to learn. All right. Here we go. Tonight, we're going to learn how to think. How to think, how the scriptures teach about the subject of healing. If you don't deal with the way you think, you're never going to believe God to heal anybody. So, let's look at this now. We're going to look first at a worldview. What is a worldview? We've got to deal with the way we see, see the world. So, a little bit of warning, tonight is a, can be a little bit academic, uh, but that's okay, because you know what? The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. So there is a study factor with the Word of God that a lot of Christians miss. And so tonight, though it's a little bit acad- uh, academic, you might feel like you're in a little bit of a college class. Well, let's just say we're in Holy Ghost 101, or we're in Healing 101, Okay so let's go now. What's a worldview? <clears throat> a worldview, in fact, embraces all deep-level human perceptions of reality, including the question of whether or not a god or gods exist, and if so, what he, she, it, or they is or are like, and how such beings might relate to the world. Now, oh, that's a definition, isn't it? Now, Let's talk about lenses. When somebody wears glasses or contacts, the lenses that cover their eyes shape everything they see. Sunglasses. I've seen people with blue sunglasses. I don't know how you do blue sunglasses. That, to me, just wouldn't work. But I see the blue. I see the red ones. I like green or brown ones. But however, when you put them on and you look through those lenses, the whole world is colored according to the color of the lens you see through. Okay? Now, the correct lenses will provide a clear and accurate picture of what is experienced. Incorrect lenses will distort what is seen. You ever put on somebody else's glasses and look through them? Say, man, I can't look through these things. Well, see, a worldview is the same way. We all look at the world through our worldview. The lens of our worldview. Very important we understand this. There is no direct objective access to what is seen. All is filtered through the lenses and then interpreted based upon the result of how the image is shaped by the lens. All right, you're looking at me either through glasses or not glasses. But either way, your eyeball is a lens and you see me according to that lens. Our life experiences shape a set of beliefs that work in our brains like a set of lenses. These beliefs exist as a set of assumptions about reality through which new life experiences are evaluated and interpreted. That's very simple. Things we experience as a child shape the lens through which we see the world. It's very simple. If you have a great upbringing, you see the world through that upbringing. If you're abused as a child, you see the the world through that lens. These assumptions, while affecting our interpretation of every new experience, are rarely ever examined. We never stop and think, what are the lenses through which I'm seeing the world? Everything else is examined through the lens of your thinking. And, And most people. Never stop and and, and essentially examine the glasses or the lenses through which they're seeing the world. We just go through life, not ever stopping to think, how am I looking at God? How am I looking at people? How am I viewing Scripture? How am I interpreting or processing this pain I'm going through? Does God want me sick? Does God want me well? Has God put this on me, or is this a result of some sin? How do I view my physical afflictions? How do I view the way people treat me? All of that is shaped by your worldview, which includes how you look at God, how you look at people, how you look at life, how you look at everything. That's why the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't see life through the lens of this world's thinking, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Why does the Bible tell us to do that? Because when our mind is renewed by the Word of God, we see through a different lens. Very important. Like a set of eyeglasses, we are looking through them, but rarely at them. This set of assumptions is called a worldview. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's a great quote. By it I see everything else. This sounds great, but has biblical Christianity. Here's the number one question, because I think the answer to this for a lot of people who name the name of Christ the answer is no I'm going to say that right up front you will not have a biblical worldview if you do not have your mind renewed by the word of God you will not you will be saved but you will never be renewed in your the spirit of your mind and therefore you will still deal with life's conflicts and adversities and issues through a worldly lens instead of the God lens so has biblical Christianity really formed our worldview tonight? That's why we've got to deal with this right out of the chute when you're talking about healing. Because you will never believe God to heal anybody if you have a worldly lens through which you view life and sickness and disease and everything. Everybody has a worldview. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've, you've got one. You've got a worldview right here tonight. You've got one. You're a philosopher and don't know it. You've already made major conclusions about life and God and people and experiences. You've already done it. The question is, is it biblical or is it worldly? Not everybody has examined their worldview. The point of this class is to help you begin to look at some things you may have never looked at before. And by the way, this curriculum is from Gateway and Alan Smith, who wrote it, Uh, was gracious enough to let me teach it and to let me modify it for our church. So our thanks to Gateway, that little church trying to get off the ground in Southlake, and uh, Alan Smith. So I want to make that clear. Uh, He did let me modify it, and I was very grateful for that. Now, um, has biblical Christianity formed our worldview? Everybody has a worldview. Most have not examined theirs. Now, Let's talk about transcendence and imminence. let's get a little bit uh, uh, um, like college right now. Let's talk about some concepts. Transcendence and immanence define these two terms. First, both of these terms, transcendence and imminence are used to describe God, creation, and the way the two relate and interact. So what do they mean? Transcendence. And eminence. Well, transcendence means that God is other than, and he is over creation. That God transcends creation. He is above creation. God doesn't abide in time. God is above time. For God, a thousand years ago, is the same as a thousand years from now. So he is what we call transcendent. He transcends creation. He is above it. Now, imminence means God is near and interacts within creation day by day. You know, when we say to somebody, well, that's an imminent event. That's going to happen imminently. That means something is about to happen. It's near. When you say that God is imminent, it means he's near us. That he interacts, though he transcends creation, he, he interacts with his creation. In other words, he steps into time and space and involves himself in the affairs of men do you believe that well if you don't believe that then good luck praying because that's what you're asking God to do when you pray you're asking a transcendent God who lives outside of time and space to enter into time and space and change something on your behalf in the name of Jesus that's what prayer is So now let's look at a few of the reigning world philosophies and what they believe about God and the world in which we live. And as we go over these, I want you to stop and think, now, which way do I think? Do do, do these three philosophies, which one of them applies to me in my worldview right now? Well, first of all, there's pantheism. Pantheism is the belief that God is everything. He is your chair. He is the tree. That's where you get into hugging a tree. You're you're hugging God. Because in pantheism, God is all. God is everything. He is the animals. He is the trees. He is the clouds. He is in and a part of all of the created order. God and the material world, says pantheism, are one. Now, pantheism denies transcendence. Pantheism does not embrace a God who is above creation, but pantheism engra- embraces the idea that God is creation. There is no distinction in pantheism between God and creation, and no God to whom creation is ultimately accountable. So if you say you're a pantheist, you can go hug a tree and hug God. If you're a pantheist, you can kiss your dog and kiss God. If you're a pantheist, you believe that God is in everything and he's not above his creation. But pantheism does affirm imminence. That is, the God who is one with creation is operating within creation moment by moment. Now, a pantheist does believe that, that God is involved in the creation. They do believe that. Now, that's pantheism. Any pantheists in here? I want to meet you afterwards and pray with you. Because I can tell you, when you hug a tree, you're not hugging God. Okay? When I was a—I probably shouldn't say this, but when— There was a time when I was a 16-year-old knucklehead. I decided to try transcendental meditation in Buddhism. And I read all this stuff and went out in nature thinking I was going to get into this lotus position. And I was going to meditate— and say Aum repeatedly, and, and I was going to finally, ultimately become one with the universal rhythm of life. I got in the lotus position, I started saying Aum over and over and over again, and the only thing that happened to me was I got ants in my pants. I am serious, and I didn't become one with anything. It's funny what you get into when you're hungry, isn't it? When you're thirsty for God? Oh my, then I got the Holy Spirit and I connected with God, but okay. So pantheism does affirm imminence, but now let's go to deism. What does deism say? Benjamin Franklin was a deist. He's one of the best known deists in history, Benjamin Franklin. Deism says that God set the universe in motion then stepped out of the picture and no longer has anything to do with his creation. That's what deism teaches. So what does deism affirm? Transcendence. That God is above and apart from his creation. Creation has its origin in God, who is both other than and overall of created reality. So a deist believes that God said, let there be light, animals, fish, this and that, the whole creation. And then when he was done, stepped out of the picture and has nothing to do, does not intervene in the affairs of people ever again. So he's a distant, untouchable, unknowable God. That's the deist. So it affirms transcendence, but it does not affirm immanence that God is involved in our world. Now follow this, everybody, because we're going somewhere. This matters when it comes to divine healing. All right? So deism teaches that creation is a closed system operating by a set of natural laws, working through cause and effect. And God's not involved in anything that happens. All right? Now, theism. Now we come to you and me, I hope. Theism teaches one God created all things and rules humans and the world. That's theism. Any theists in here tonight? Boy, some of you aren't sure. Well, we'll pray about that. We might have some pantheists in here. We might have some deists in here. I want to tell you, if you're going to believe in divine healing, you've got to be a theist. That there is one God created all things, and he rules humans and the world. He's providential. He's in charge. And he does indeed intervene in the affairs of people in answer to prayer. Theism affirms transcendence, that God is over his creation, And theism affirms imminence. God is near to creation and interacts with creation moment by moment. He's interacting with us right now. God is here by the Holy Spirit. We're having our minds renewed. And God's moving. Anybody in here say that when I called out on on Jesus, uh, He definitely intervened in my life and changed some things in time and space for me. Amen? And He that has begun a good work is going to finish it to the day of Jesus Christ. So we worship a God who is not only transcendent, but he is imminent, working daily, moment by moment in our life. Now, biblical Christians are theists. We believe that one God created all things. He's above his creation, and he dwells in eternity right now. And that he involves himself moment by moment in the affairs of men, both through his sovereign decreed will and in answer to prayer. Hallelujah. Now, what about our Western culture? Where does it primarily stand? Well, predominantly, our culture is deistic. And I want you to please understand this. Very important. Our culture primarily denies the supernatural altogether. And you can trace this back into history if you want to. You can go all the way back to... Uh, The French Revolution, you can go all the way back to the age of reason when man decided that reason was going to reign supreme instead of faith. And that if you could see it, touch it, uh, taste it, smell it, hear it, then it was real. But if you could not detect it by the senses, it was not real. That's the age of reason. That's Voltaire. That is all those people back in that time period in Western culture when they decided there is no supernatural. There is only what you can sense. And if you can't scientifically nail it down and prove it in a test tube, it's not real. But guess what? That's not true. Predominantly, our culture is deistic. They deny the supernatural, leaning more on reason than faith. Now, some Christians have been influenced by this culture, this way of thinking. I don't believe in the supernatural. I don't believe there's demons. I don't believe that God heals the sick. I don't believe any of that. Well, look at what it resulted in. First, it resulted in liberalism. Liberalism denies both biblical and current supernatural reality. Liberalism. It denies biblical and supernatural reality. If you say you believe in the supernatural, you don't have an intellect. You're kind of dumb. You're from the South, probably Arkansas. I'm just telling you what they think. See, we're in the flyover states, and we in the flyover states believe in the supernatural. That's, that's, the way, that's the way the church of the South is looked at. We're in the flyover. We're not on the West Coast or the East Coast. We're just kind of ignorant, and the West Coast and the East Coast need to lead us and guide us in good reason. But no, my Bible tells me from one of the greatest intellects that ever walked the earth, the Apostle Paul, that we battle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, Paul said, you better know there's a supernatural world. You better know there is a supernatural dimension. And if you don't, you're in heap big trouble. Now, another thing that Believing this way in reason only and not faith and not the supernatural produces cessationism. What is cessationism? It simply says miracles have ceased. Cessationism affirms biblical supernatural reality while denying supernatural reality today. They'll say, oh, Jesus healed people. Sure he did. But when the apostles died out, all supernatural manifestation, healing, deliverance, demons, all that died out with the apostles. Cessationism. You can go to good, well, I say, you can go to many seminaries in the United States of America and they are cessationists. They will tell you the age of the supernatural, miracles, healings, and all of that are finished. And when the last apostle died, the miracles died with them. It was only the 12 who were anointed and appointed to do miracles. Do you believe that? Cessationists do. Maybe you got a little bit of stationism in you. I hope to get it out of you, because listen, I know he heals today, and I know he he delivers from demon spirits today, and and I know he does all. It it did not end. Okay. Now let's look at grace and nature. Y'all are doing great. Give the Lord a hand. You're doing wonderful. Stand with me on this. Now, grace and nature. When we say grace and nature, what do we we mean? These terms are used to attempt to understand the relationship between the religious and the secular. So the heavenly, or, or the heavenly and the earthly. So grace refers to heaven, and nature refers to earth. Now there are three primary views on grace and nature. Three primary views. The first two represent the dualistic approach to this question, separating earthly and heavenly reality. Now let's look at some three quick Latin phrases. Everybody say Latin. is no big deal. Here it is. Gratia contra naturum. What does gratia contra naturum mean? That grace is against nature now let's look at what this is talking about who are we we are spiritual beings who live in a body where are we we are in a fallen world ruled by evil do you believe these first two things absolutely what is wrong well we're separated from god because of sin that's true what's the solution god has made a way for the removal of our guilt so that we can go to heaven when we escape this evil earthly realm. Is that true? Yes. How is sickness, here we come now to the healing issue. If you, are, if you are in the gratia, contra, naturum line of thought, here you go. How is sickness understood within this view? Sickness is part of the evil inherent in our earthly experience. We will escape sickness when we go to heaven. Is that true? But is that all of it? Okay. Now, a lot of Christians are in this category. They believe that that we escape sickness when we go to heaven. In the meantime, you go through it. In the meantime, you just live with it. In the meantime, you just endure it. It's a part of life. We're in a fallen world. The only thing wrong with this view is it leaves out a manifestation of the supernatural in the here and now. Can we be healed? Now let's look at the next one, Gracia supra naturum, that grace is above nature. Now that asks these questions, who are we? Well, we're spiritual beings who live in a body. Where are we? We're in a fallen world where we are being prepared for heaven. So far, so good. What is wrong? We're separated from God because of sin. Well, that's absolutely true. What is the solution? God made a way out for the removal of our guilt and the transformation of character to prepare us to reign with him in heaven. So far, so good, right? But what about sickness now? How is sickness understood within this view? Gratia, supra, naturum. Sickness is a result of the fall and serves as a providential opportunity for spiritual growth in preparation for our heavenly calling you know what? I can't totally disagree with that, but I don't think that's all that there is to it. Matter of fact, I think some of the real faith teachers miss this one. Because if you don't get immediately healed, you don't have faith. I'm not, I don't believe God ever puts a sickness on somebody, but I believe if you're struggling with some kind of a physical infirmity, and for one reason or another, you're not healed or you're struggling through a healing, that God will absolutely use what you're struggling with as an opportunity to help you grow because all things are worked together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But these first two views do not embrace the intervention of God in a miraculous way in the healing of your sickness. Which brings us to gratia intra naturum. Grace is within nature. And it goes through this. Who are we? We are the pinnacle of God's good creation, made in God's image and purposed to govern creation as God's representative. Right? Where are we? We are within God's good creation. Well, what's wrong? As God's image bearers, we are broken because of sin. Absolutely true. What is the solution? God has provided fully a new creation through the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus as Lord over heaven and earth. Is that true? Absolutely. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we we are new creations in Jesus Christ. But now how is sickness understood within this view? Sickness is a clear example of the brokenness of God's good creation and is corrected through the appropriation of God's redemptive work through Christ. In other words, supernatural healing is available by faith in Christ. So this last one embraces the truth of the first two, but it adds a third truth, or a third angle to healing. That is, God can and does heal supernaturally and miraculously in answer to prayer. He leaves eternity, he reaches into time and space, he reaches down and touches a diseased or afflicted body and heals it in answer to prayer. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? All right. The first two views place sickness as something we will escape on going to heaven or as an opportunity for spiritual growth. While we agree that both of these conclusions are valid, we also believe that God can and does supernaturally heal in answer to prayer within the third view provides for, or which the third view provides for. We believe that. And if we don't believe that, how would we ever have a healing room or why pray for anybody in the altar if we don't believe that that can happen? So do you see how we're having to deal with the way we think the way we view things, our world view? Are we looking at sickness and disease through a worldly lens or through the lens of Scripture? Our cultural viewpoints about the relationship between God and creation and the relationship between heavenly and earthly reality greatly impacts our view of sickness and our approach to the miraculous and the healing. In contemporary American culture, we struggle most with deism. God does not involve himself in the affairs of men. And I think if everybody in here were honest, we've all had moments we thought just like that. When we prayed for something and it didn't happen, or we struggled through some kind of physical affliction and it didn't seem to be a miraculous healing, we all wondered, well, maybe, just maybe, there ain't any such thing as healing. Maybe God doesn't do that anymore. So... Very important we deal with this. Now, the Scripture exhorts the Christian. Read this with me, everybody. Do not be conformed to this world. Let's start over. i got about two of you going with me. Ready? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There you go. We must reject the aspects of the cultural worldview that have found their way into our belief system and allow our minds to be renewed by God's Word. So let's begin by seeing the supernatural everywhere. All things were created by the Word. I I tell you, I love God's creation. I don't love it more than God, but I love God's creation. Every day I watch the birds out my window, I feed them. I look at those amazing little creatures, just the birds, and the way that God constructed them, that when they want to, they can just do this and just take off. I wanted so bad to be able to do that when I was a kid. I watched Superman every day, and one day I believed it so much, I put a little towel, pinned a towel on my back, crawled up on my roof and jumped. And I learned real quick, I wasn't Superman or Superboy. I didn't fly, I wanted so bad to be able to fly. But God gave that to the birds. Just look at the birds and think. There you're looking at the creation of God, of that of the, the God did by the Word, and the Word was Christ. Nothing that was made was not made but through Christ. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And look what happened. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, read it with me, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, Genesis 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning that John says in John 1 was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And read this next part with me. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So when I look at those birds out my window, in my bird feeders, just eating away, I know that that bird came through the fingertips of Jesus Christ. And when I have on that lens, see when you get the Bible lens, You're amazed at the world around you, and you're amazed at the creative power of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day by day, they utter speech. Night by night, they show knowledge. The, The created order is preaching every day and night that God is and that He's the great creator. And when you see life through that lens, it changes everything. Long ago, the Bible says, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Watch this. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. Through Jesus, God created the world. God said it. The Son amended it. The Holy Ghost released it. God said it, the Son of God amended, and the Holy Ghost released it. That's the way it was all made. All the promises of God are yea and amen through Him. By faith we understand, says Hebrews 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. How do we understand it? By faith. Faith is a lens. How do you understand it? By faith. Why is our world rejected that God created everything and they have turned to evolution and tell us that we came from a monkey? Because they do not have on the lens of faith. They rejected it in the age of reason. They threw that lens aside. Said if I can't taste it, touch it, feel it, and all of that, by the senses, it doesn't exist. But by faith, the lens of faith, we understand the truth that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that you can see. An invisible God created visible things. Now the reason we're reading all these passages is I want you to see that everywhere all around you are miracles. Miracles. You're a miracle. You are a miracle. As the child song says, you are a great big bundle of potentiality. You are a miracle creation. And I want you to begin, I'm going to show you in a moment this week leading to next Wednesday when we're going to get into some really good stuff. I want you to begin to think, what lens am I looking through when I look at the world, when I look at sickness, when I look at life, when I look at people? Is my lens biblical or is my lens worldly? In summary, the universe is a testimony to God's incredible creative power. Truly, I've already quoted this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament reveals his handiwork and also all things are sustained by the word. You know that Jesus could speak one word and we would fly into billions and trillions of microcosmic pieces? Do you know that you're being held together by the word of Jesus? I just don't believe that, Pastor Jeff, why not? If you don't believe that, then you're looking at everything through a worldly lens because the Bible lens tells us, watch this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The universe is being upheld. The planets are spinning. The galaxy is not flying into chaos because of the sustaining, keeping word of Christ. Wow. Selah. Think about that one on your way home. You think about those that are rejecting him and living in sin and deny the gospel and mock God, and you think, oh, what an awakening is coming their way. When one day they meet him, and realize that Jesus was not just some first century hippie walking around saying good things and loving on people. But he was very God. And the same one who said, let water be turned into wine. And let these loaves and these fishes of, uh, these few fishes be multiplied to feed thousands. And excuse me while I walk on water because I'm not held by natural law. And, and I don't need you to move the stone for me, because I could walk through it if it didn't move, but I need it to move so you can get in and see that I'm no longer there. That that God, that God, that God, that Christ, that Messiah is holding the universe by the word of his power. Powerful. Powerful. Look what it says, after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Look at this one. Colossians 1:17. 1, he existed before anything else. And read it with me, everybody. He holds all creation together. Boy, put on that lens. Put on that lens. This world isn't in the hands of the devil. The devil's a dog on a leash. The devil's a dog on a leash. Read the book of Revelation the devil's a dog on a leash. He can only go as far as God lets him. His days are numbered. He's going to end up in the bottomless pit, the lake of fire. His his tombstone has already had written on it, destroyed by the Son of God. It's already over. God is in charge. Put on that lens. A better definition is of a miracle a miracle is God's action. Well, let me go back. I think I, there we go. I went ahead a little bit. I thought so. Defining the miraculous. Let's talk about it real quickly. A common definition for miracle is a miracle is God's supernatural action within the material world to subvert or bypass natural law to accomplish his purpose. So Elijah prays that it will not rain and for three and a half years it did not rain. Joshua looked at the, the uh, skies and commanded the sun to stand still, and it stood still. And that's been proven scientifically now, do you know that? They trace that back on calendars. God interrupted natural law to do a miracle. Now this definition assumes that the miraculous is outside the norm. So here's a better definition. A miracle is God's action within creation to restore that which is broken to his original design. This definition assumes that creation is broken, no longer conforming to God's original design and purpose. So miracle is a broad category that includes any restoring act of God within creation. And healing or deliverance is are specific categories underneath the miraculous. Here's a summary. God is the creator of all things. He dwells in eternity, transcending time and space. He involves himself in the affairs of men on a moment-by-moment basis, in answer to prayer or by his own inscrutable will. God bypasses natural laws to perform a miracle of healing or deliverance. Now here's some homework for you. Told you it was like a class. This week, consistently ask God to give you an awareness of his presence. Next, look at natural things this week and say, this natural thing is truly supernatural. It's created by and sustained by the living Word of God. You're going to go get in a car, the metal of which is being held together by the Word of the Lord. <laughs> you say, well, why do you let it break down? Because we're in time and space, and everything is rotting. Did you know that? Including you and me. You look in the mirror lately? or Do this. Don't look in the mirror for a week and then go look in the mirror. Oh, something's happened in one week. All right. Just through the lens of the Bible, see everything as a miracle of God because it truly is. Notice new creation at work this week and give praise to God for the miracle of new creation. Just begin to think and look through the Bible lens. Look for opportunities to pray for the sick or the injured this week. Can I pray for you? I've never had but one person tell me don't pray for me. One person did that out of all the prayers I've done. And I got out of there quick. You don't want prayer? I'm done with you. They said, nope, don't want prayer. But that was the only person. Hundreds of others have always said, oh, sure, even atheists. Oh, sure, you believe that? Go ahead. Inside, they're hoping something happens. Memorize and meditate upon Hebrews eleven 3. Let's read it together. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Can we stand together tonight? I know that God intervenes in the affairs of men. And I want to encourage you. I I I told you it was going to be a little bit academic tonight in places. It's not so much that way for the rest of this series, but we needed this because we need to understand worldview and the options. And if we happen to be in any of those options, and ask God to renew our minds if we are, and be open to the miraculous. Be open to the miraculous. Father, we just thank you right now that we see healing in the person of Christ. We see healing all through your scriptures. You even identified yourself as the Lord that healeth thee. And Lord, we don't understand it all, but we do understand what we have seen tonight. And we pray over our worldview that if we have a lens that we're looking through that is worldly or tainted by false concepts. Lord, remove that remove that warped lens and replace it with 2020 Bible vision so that we can put on that lens that can look at a person and say, I believe that God can do a miracle in your life. I believe that God will hear us in one way or another he will intervene in time and space and in lives in answer to prayer thank you Lord that everywhere we look we see the miracle of God in life and creation and every day is an ongoing miracle Lord as we are kept alive our bodies and our world doesn't fly apart being sustained by the word of the Lord Jesus we put on that lens We just put on that lens. Now, can you lift your hands, church, and just say, Lord, if there is a faulty lens in my thinking, renew my mind. Renew my mind. Renew my mind. Help me to see life and people in God and adversity through the lens of Scripture. Give me that Jesus lens In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's sing it, everybody.